Hello, you're listening to Heroes and Hops, the show where we discuss comics, beer, and everything in between. I'm your host, Jason. This week, I'm joined by Jeremy Branch from The Terrible Movies. We discuss the new film Split, and there are spoilers ahead. So sit back, crack open a cold one, and enjoy Heroes and Hops. Thanks for listening to Heroes and Hops. And before we get to the uh, conversation with Jeremy G. Branch from Be Terrible Movies, uh, you can find him on YouTube. And there'll be a um, description and the link and the and everything like that. And he, he mentions it a couple times in the conversation. But there are a lot of spoilers for the movie Split. And we warn you in the conversation, but I just wanted to make sure... That before you listen, if you haven't seen that movie, uh, we do have a lot of spoilers. So we'll get to the interview now. All right, thanks for listening to Heroes and Hops. Uh, this is your host, Jason, and I'm joined with... Um, via google hangout with jeremy branch from where are you from jeremy you can find my stuff on beterrible.com or be terrible movies on youtube what's up jason hey not much man thanks for joining uh joining me and um jeremy um i'll get uh when we're done uh have you plug your stuff again and i'll also have links to where you can find him in the show description um if you haven't checked out be terrible movies on youtube he posts content regularly on movies and pop culture so it's definitely worth uh checking out for sure and i wanted to say hey to your listeners uh it's it's always great to be able to show up on other people's shows and not have to worry about stuff okay yeah well (laughs) um anyway well we're going to talk a little bit about the movie split directed by m night Shalaman, Shalaman. I don't. I. How do you say his name? I want to say Shyamalan. Shyamalan. But Shyamalan is how I typically hear it. Okay. So. Anyway, the newest film by the guy that directed The Sixth Sense. Um, mm-hmm. The Twistmeister. Yeah, the Twistmeister. That's for sure. Um, anyway, well, I'm glad you you saw the movie because I thought about you. Um, I saw it last week. I was in Panama City and. Went to the movie, um, had some time to kill, and went uh, like last Thursday night and saw it. And when I got finished with it, I thought, I wonder if Jeremy's going to see this because um, it seemed like it would be something right in your uh, wheelhouse as far as films go. Well, and it really is. I am a huge fan of genre movies uh, in the horror realm, but also sci-fi uh, just pretty much fantasy, any of that kind of stuff. But I also really like psychological thrillers like your Seven or even uh, the original Saw film. And this was a really good melding of the two of them. So uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Are, are we talking about it as if we've seen, as if the folks have seen it? Um, actually, uh, that's a good question. Um, there will probably be. Um, I'm going to try to avoid them, but. You've been warned spoilers um, may ensue, so I'll put that in the description too, but there will probably be some spoilers, um, but um, we may t- touch on some plot points, but um, 
anyway, if you, I, I recommend going to see it first before listening to this episode. But um, yeah, Good. so, so some spoilers. Yeah. All of the, I mean, there's so much stuff to discuss in this movie, so uh, I'm eager to hear what you think. Okay, well, I enjoyed it. Um, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, I had seen some trailers for it of James McAvoy acting like a nine-year-old kid. Uh-huh. And I didn't realize, I don't think I knew, I don't think I knew who directed it before, right until I, right before I saw it. Um, so the, the only reason I saw it was I was at a restaurant and um, talking to the bartender. And I said, well, I'm going to go down here and see a movie. And he said, well, you should go see Split. Really? And he said, it looks cool. I said, oh, yeah. I said, I, I've seen a preview for that. And I uh, I was thinking about seeing Live by Night by Ben Affleck. But then I saw that, um, because I like gangster movies. And I typically, um, I've enjoyed the movies that Ben Affleck's directed. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, but then I looked up and saw that Split actually had a better rating on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and all that stuff than Live by Night, so I went ahead and just um, decided to go with um, with Split. So, uh, but yeah, I liked it. It was entertaining. Um, I'm not a big horror guy, and I thought it was a R-rated movie, so the whole time I'm I'm expecting when um, you find out that the girls are going to be sacrifices for the beast. I'm just expecting some real gruesomeness. But then it it was more psychological than um, actual violence or any kind of visceral stuff. Um, then I saw that it was actually PG-13. But it still definitely uh, kept you on the edge of your seat for the whole movie you're kind of wondering what's going to happen and what you know what's this beast personality and you know th- there's just a lot of questions through the whole movie and then the the backstory of the um of the other lead um you kind of knew that she had sort of a tumultuous past um and that was um you know i think it worked uh, you know being a pg-13 movie but it still kept you on the edge of your seat and um kind of made your mind work and over time with kind of deducing what was going to happen and kind of getting more of a feel for these characters and and being worried about them than um, focusing on the actual violence or or horrific acts that happened to them you kind of um, get that in the story um, yeah. yeah I echo a lot of what you said and interestingly enough I kind of had the other experience about it being a PG-13 movie I knew the rating, and I was surprised by how far they were able to take it. Mm-hmm. However, I can also see the other side of that, where if you expected it to be an R-rated movie, it would seem a little underplayed. So it's interesting the expectation difference that a person would have right. just based on the rating of the film. But yeah, I agree with you about it being tense and on the edge of your seat. It is a character study, and what's fascinating about that is how many leads James McAvoy is able to pull off Um we certainly don't see 23 different personalities, but I, I think there was about six or seven featured in the movie. Is that right? Um, yeah, the, there was. Um, I want to say as far as like his interaction with with people, um, there was probably six or seven. Then then they they did a clever thing. I thought with the um, his video logs that she find toward the end of the movie, she's clicking yeah. on the files, and then you get to see a couple more 
personalities that way. So that's right, and it's it's also an interesting exploration about this kind of concept about mind over matter, but particularly if you are a schizophrenic, and I think me and you will touch on this stuff in a little bit here, but if you are a schizophrenic and it can actually potentially change your physiology, um, you had brought up the point about the survey, or not the surveillance, but the testimonial footage. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters is like, if I'm not real, then why do I need insulin? And he actually has to take medicine for right. diet, which that one character has manifested. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's pretty fascinating as well because from time to time you'll hear about women that were able to pull a car off of their kid or whatever from adrenaline and things like that. Right. So is that something you considered when you were watching it? Um, yes. I mean, I, I considered the, the whole, you know, the thing with adrenaline, like the, the mother pulling a car off her child. Um, I haven't looked up in, up to it, but I, I mean, looked into it, but I've been thinking about the, the idea of... Um, of when your your personality when you, the, the, if you have these different personalities like he had um that your body takes on a whole different um you know um you know either being addicted to uh, or not addicted but having to have um insulin or you're strong they touch on it in the movie that you know and they're super yeah super drink at the end of it which did you think I, I mean, I before I even ask, I found the trailers to be extremely revealing um, to the point that it kind of, I wouldn't say it ruined the experience. However, I was anticipating that twist from the beginning of the film because there's that one particular shot, and I'm going to say it is a spoiler, but if you've seen the trailer, you've already seen it, where uh, McAvoy's character is crawling on the wall. Mm-hmm. No, I, I no, actually... Um, I had only seen some quick trailers, and it was mostly him um, as what Hedwig. was the the child's name? Uh-huh. Hedwig. And Hedwig. Then we had yeah. Patricia was the old, older woman. Yes. Um, yeah. Those were, and you know, I didn't. I hadn't really read much about it. I just knew that it was something. You know, um, I'm always interested in uh, movies that explore. Um, you know, multiple personalities and that sort of thing. So I, um, cause I took a couple, I took a psychology class in high school and college, which does not make me an expert, but, um, I had, you know, learned about some of this, this stuff in the past. So I'm always interested in films, um, that kind of explore that. And, uh, but I, I really didn't, I don't remember seeing a whole lot of, um, trailers or nothing that stuck with me so a lot of this was new to me so it um uh so I was kind of surprised by it I, I really didn't know much going into it which was kind of refreshing because so I agree with that and I wish that trailers would tone it down a little bit I understand that they're trying to sell it to as broad of an mm-hmm. audience as possible which for better or worse, people who aren't in the uh, film punditry community, people that don't read up on the internet obsessively like we do, um, they need to see that stuff to give them the general idea of what happens. But if you know a three-act structure, right. then you can deduce from the trailer exactly how the movie's going to play out. But um, actually, that's one thing that M. Night Shyamalan has been successful with, is being able to make you perceive a movie one way and then in the third act pulling the rug out from under you to the point where it changes your experience of the entire film yes 
uh, yes, he does. Um, yeah, he, he definitely does that. I, I don't know if I've seen... I've seen a lot of his movies. I don't know if I've seen all of them. I, I know I haven't seen... Uh, I, I don't think I saw the one with Will Smith. I definitely didn't either. <laughs> and um, I didn't see the one about the grandparents that he did a year or two ago. Okay. I heard that that was actually pretty decent. Um, I wouldn't say it was fantastic, but I certainly enjoyed it. And um, one thing about being a genre fan is I've been keeping an eye on Blumhouse Pictures lately. I don't know if you're familiar with mm -hmm. them, but they're a small horror production studio. And every other week they're putting out another horror movie. Most of the time they're shit, right? Right, <laughs> like, right. More times than not, they're really bad horror movies. But then we'll get the, the breakthroughs like Lights Out, uh, Don't Breathe was produced by Blumhouse. So they've really mastered the art of realizing that there's a built-in audience for horror films. Right. Exploiting the shit out of it. They'll spend $15 million on a movie and they're going to recoup 400% on opening weekend or something like that. So okay. their business model is airtight and uh, it means that audiences get to see some decent horror movies in the theaters from time to time. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I'm like I said, I'm not a big horror guy. Like, um, Split was pretty much my, you know, about my speed. And I've seen trailers that don't breathe. And I think, um, I think I would like that. Um, um, I I like more kind of suspenseful type movies right. than all out like, you know, um, horror or demon demon possession or like gratuitous violence and stuff like that um sure, i'm actually with you if the violence doesn't serve the story i really couldn't care for it right um now i do love shoot 'em up movies you know like um the other end of it yeah, yeah. for sure but um you can kill like 50 people in a movie as long as there's not a lot of blood right yeah it just it just depends like it, it just it, it just varies from um it just varies on what the movie is. Like, I'm not, like, a prude or anything, but it just depends on the movie and what, you know, if it serves a purpose or, like, you know, just certain, um, yeah, it just depends. But anyway, um, I, I'll have to check them out, and, um, I do want to see Don't Breathe. Um, that looked pretty, um, that looked pretty cool. Um, I saw the trailer for it, and, um, and, um, as far as the R rating situation goes, it even pushes the, the envelope for what's seen in, in mainstream movies okay. uh, as far as that goes. But it, it is very subversive, but it's also a, a very tense thriller. Thriller, excuse me. Like we were talking about Split. Right. It creates a really heavy atmosphere. And not to take the, the conversation off what we're talking about, mm -hmm. but I did want to ask if you saw 10 Cloverfield Lane. I did. Did you feel similarities between these two movies? Yes, a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to think of why I felt similarity. But, like, yes, now that you mention it, and it's funny, I was at the comic book shop, comic book shop yesterday, Shocker, um, the guy that hosts the comics and beer podcasts at the comic book store. But uh, we were talking about... Um, this movie came up and then Clover like Cloverfield came up and Ten Cloverfield Lane came up and um anyway, um I think we originally were talking about the new King Kong film. And uh anyway, but yeah, the, it, it it does I I think because it, it it's kind of um Ten Cloverfield Lane mostly took place in an isolated air, or like a 
kind of a confined area and split for the most part is in a confined area as well. That's a good point where uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane completely takes place underground except for in the third act. Mm -hmm. uh, there are certainly times in split where we get a little bit of variety. It's not all in a bunker. Right. However, it is all in a cell. And I think you nailed it. Like there are superficial similarities, but I don't think those are the only two films that have explored that trope. No, no. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but... <laughs> don't quiz me. Yeah, uh, but yeah, um, I think I liked this one a little bit more than I liked 10 Cloverfield Lane. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, what about you? I was a really big fan of 10 Cloverfield Lane. However, the ending of 10 Cloverfield Lane undid a lot of what happened before. I know we're spoiling Split, but we might as well leave the surprise for for that movie right. but yeah i feel like as a whole experience split was more what i wanted as a as an audience member where i really liked the first cloverfield film mm -hmm. and if you go in expecting to see a follow-up to that it's it's kind of disappointing right yeah i was kind of expecting a follow-up with 10 cloverfield lane um and then found out that that's not really the the case with it um but it, it had been talked up to me, 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, where, whereas um, I saw it in the theater. Um, it had been I wasn't planning on seeing it, but it somebody said, oh, man, it's so awesome, and I saw it, and I enjoyed it. But um, uh, whereas the original Cloverfield, I went to the theater to see that when it first came out, and that was definitely a movie worth seeing in the theater like i haven't seen the first cloverfield since seeing it in the theater but um uh that one still kind of i don't know the way it was done sticks with me um but 10 cloverfield lane i guess i had my hopes up after it being talked up to me but i enjoyed it I like i, I like john goodman and i thought he was uh, he was good in it yeah for sure and i liked the other two actors in it as well um Mary, uh, what's her name? Mary Elizabeth Winstead? That's right. Yeah, you yeah. nailed it. And then I don't know the other guy's what, name, but his name was Emmett. Right. He, um, I forget his name, but he, he was on the, the HBO show, um, The Newsroom. Oh, really? Yes. I guess I haven't ever seen that. I hear good things about it. But oh. I guess another way that 10 Cloverfield Lane is kind of similar mm -hmm. is the, the twist ending, the reveal at the end. Um where I had no idea where 10 Cloverfield Lane was heading. I kind of did know where Split was heading until that big-ass twist at the very end of the movie that's kind of got the internet buzzing. Right, right. Um, yeah, let's... Um, let's. Oh, I don't know if I want to jump to the ending of Split just yet. Um, as far as the film itself... Um, what did you think about as far as um we talked about some of the direction of it as far as um the director the way he did it but as a film itself did you think like it was it was pretty good as far as the direction and cinematography and you know that um and acting and that sort of thing yeah that's a great point to touch on before we do start talking about the end um i I have been a fan of Shyamalan for the most part. I've been rooting for the guy. Um, 
I think that he has a sense of storytelling that a lot of times is missing from movies. Uh, most of the time he's writing his own films, albeit or, uh, separate from the more studio movies that he's done. Right. But this particular film, I felt like was a nice amalgam of what had come before it. I felt the elements of Sixth Sense in it. I felt the elements of Unbreakable. And I thought that everything that he's acquired you know, his skill set that he's built upon since the beginning are all kind of on display here. Whoever did the cinematography in it did a stellar job of making you feel like you're in a very confined space. There's these uh, long takes of just slightly panning down the hallways that really build the atmosphere. And the score is, it's one of those scores that doesn't rely heavily on melodies or even music. It's more like like an Alfred Hitchcock or like Psycho, where it's almost more ambient noises and strings getting scratched. And mm -hmm. it all creates a feeling of, uh, of uneasiness. I think that the cast was really good. And I think one of my favorite things about this film is, while it is extremely dark, there are definite comical elements of it. Mm -hmm. There's some seriously black comedy throughout it that I really appreciated. Um, I agree. Um... I agree. I, I think that there were some moments that were humorous and they came at the right moments mm -hmm. uh, because the, you know, the subject matter is pretty dark as far as, you know, three teenage girls trapped in a basement with a guy with multiple personalities um, and talk of, you know, sacrificing to someone named the Beast um, is pretty dark and... Um, I think the the humor um, came at the right moments and was appropriate um, at times. So yeah, I think that that helped the movie um, um, big time. Um, One thing that kind of stuck in my head was the the first time they hear mention of the beast. And one of the three girls, I think her name was Marcia or Marcia, mm -hmm. she says, "Oh my God, the beast! Are they going to feed us to their dog or something?" And I was like, oh, "That's yeah. pretty funny." Yeah, yeah. I think was the name of the dog in Sandlot. Yes. That's great. Correct. Correct. Oh, I, I didn't think about that. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, yeah, the humor and, and just um, Mac, uh, James McAvoy, I've always um, liked him as an actor. Um, I don't think I've seen every single movie he's been in, but he's always been strong in pretty much everything he's been in. I think the first film... I ever saw him in or, or kind of knew who he was was the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Interesting. I've never seen that. Uh, he plays Mr. Mr. Thomas or Thomas or something like that. He's like a half um, half man, half goat or something. I forget the... I'm seeing that now that you bring it up. That's crazy. I had no idea that was him. Yeah, yeah. He was he was actually pretty good in that movie. Um, He, he stood out. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but... I remember him standing out, but yeah, he's, and he's, I thought he was a good, um, ended up being a good choice as Professor X. Um, Absolutely. Perfect casting. And I really like the direction that he took the character with first class. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, I thought, cause, because, um, we're so used to Patrick Stewart as Professor X, which is, um, which he was he was great at, or he is great as that character, but at the same time, Patrick Stewart's kind of no-brainer casting for uh, Professor X. I think sure. 
you know, when you're a kid watching X-Men or reading X-Men, he's the first guy that comes to your mind to play Professor X, you know. But, um, yeah, no, McAvoy was, was good. But, yeah, he he makes that movie. I wonder if we'll... I wonder, it's, it's probably too early, but... Um, or is this film considered a 2017 release, or is it... Um, or what, did it get a limited release in 2016? It's exactly what you said. It got a limited release at the very end of 2016. Oh. It was kind of touring the festival circuits, but it didn't go wide until 2017, which is interesting because it means depending on where you where you look it up, they'll either refer to it as a 2016 or a 2017. Okay. Yeah, I, I've seen it as both. I, I pulled it up before we uh, started talking on Wikipedia, and I believe... They have it as, um, yeah, they have it as 2016. If you look right above it, it says redirected from split 2017 film. Okay. We hit right above that article uh, uh, on Wikipedia. It's right before the synopsis and underneath the actual title. Okay. Anyways, I'm sitting here looking at it right now. It's funny that you said that. I pulled out the good old Wikipedia, too. Yep, Wikipedia is your friend. Uh-huh. Um, so that that the reason I ask that is because I wonder if he's gonna get a um nope. if whatever you're saying, nomination for anything, nope. Oh man. I don't think Academy's I don't think the Academy likes to nominate these kind of movies. I think it's a little bit of a bias. Uh you seldom see comedies or horror films get any sort of recognition. In fact, Silence of the Lambs is the only horror film, um, if you even consider it that, as opposed to a psychological thriller. But it's the only one to ever win an Oscar. So uh, that's just an interesting little piece of trivia. But as good as James McAvoy's performance was, I don't think that the Oscars is looking. I don't. I just don't think it's Oscar bait, which is unfortunate because I totally agree with you. He was the the driving force of this film he is he just chewed every single scene that he was in and uh made you believe that he actually could uh, have these different personalities living inside oh, of him so oh I mean, yeah uh, i mean he totally pulled them off and, and and just um in in more ways than one his his body language and and posture changed with each personality um obviously his his voices um and inflection you know, delivering delivering the dialogue for each different personality uh, changed and made you feel like you like it was a different character. You know, each time, um, yeah, he pulled it off as far as the way he, you know, postured himself and just you know looked. Um, uh, even the, a great scene was when um, uh, he's Patricia and he's making the sandwiches. Oh, so good. And and when he says it has paprika in it, and just that, that was that was a great bit of acting right there. Good call. That's a great great scene that I didn't even think about until you said it. Um, I also think it was interesting that he didn't like that role could have so easily been an SNL sketch, mm-hmm. and every single personality could have been a big broad interpretation. I mean, very is a 37-year-old homosexual man. He's one of the multiple personalities, and right. he's not like one of those boisterous, queenie-type gay mm-hmm. characters that you see so often in right. television. And then at the same time, his Patricia wasn't like a Mrs. Doubtfire impression or something like that. There was subtlety in each of the performances, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, he it just... Um, 
Yeah, and then any time he was Hedwig um, was great. Yeah, um, absolutely. Was... I don't sleep on Anya Taylor-Joy, though, either. I think she was a really good performance, and uh, I think she's a talent to look out for, especially after The Witch and then this film. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen The Witch yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, she was... She definitely was... Um, she carried her own weight next to him, for sure. Um, to me, though, everybody else, I think, filled their role, but um, the, the psychiatrist was an important character, but sort of her delivery, um, and I don't know, she, she seemed like she was a little, seemed a little weak considering how important that character was, but at the same time, she was almost kind of a dis unlikable character in a sense and you can d disagree with me but the reason I found her sort of unlikable uh, the psychiatrist was because while she wanted to help um uh, help Kevin she also um she she kind of wanted to help him for her own selfish reasons to 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 pursue you know to prove that she was right because she'd been kind of ridiculed among the um psychiatric or psychological community with her theories on um multiple personalities and and she seemed to um you know the light bulb didn't go off until the very end um of her storyline but yeah, um but right. yeah she she, she was that. kind of she she sort of ended up it, she was kind of um kind of had gotten so focused at proving her point and kind of overlooking the big picture, sort of. And to be honest, I didn't even think about that, but you made a really good case for why um, he wasn't quite as likable. I did find <clears throat> her connection with her patients, at least what we saw in the film, did seem to be genuine. Mm -hmm. um, it seemed like even a lot of the personalities of Kevin's, if not all of them, seemed to have at least some affection towards the psychiatrist because we realized, or psychologist, because we realized they'd been working together for around a decade, around 10 years, mm -hmm. um, which I was kind of surprised that he was able to hold down a job in the real world for as long as he did. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, it seems like that would be an issue at work sometimes, but we learned that the catalyst of all of his uh, distress was because two teenage girls put his hand up their shirts or something, and it triggered this whole thing, right? Um, yeah, it triggered... Um... Yeah, what? Yeah, did it? Yeah, yeah. I remember them telling that story, but I couldn't place if it was something that triggered this whole chain of events or if it was something that triggered, you know, way back when. But yeah, um, but he, um, it seemed like he had developed these personalities throughout the course of his life. That some came early when he was a child, and then some maybe manifested later. Um, but um, yeah, that's point and obviously the the main catalyst was the physical abuse that he endured as a kid but then it was like he had it managed he was able to kind of pick up the pieces and move on even considering the disorder that he had but then it all came unraveled and uh yeah i, I can totally see your point on the psychologist that's that's funny that you were able to sway me with just that little bit of information um and i i do think that anna anya taylor joy's character was pretty aloof at the beginning of the film. I couldn't really understand her motivations or her lack of, 
motivation or heart, but then as the story progresses and you start to get a little bit of insight as to why she is the way she is and the environment that she was raised in, it really, the pieces add up more at that point, the more yes. information you get. And yes, and um, and I think there, there, there's a big twist in the film, obviously, that has everybody talking, but to me, the twist that um, may, as far as, um, or maybe not a twist, but the reveal that that made sense or kind of big within story is that since we've already put the spoiler tag on this, we get through flashbacks that she had been abused by her uncle and that she was real close to her father and that her father had died when she was young. And, um, and then we get, you know, we get through dialogue that she gets in trouble in school and goes to detention a lot and all this stuff well then we find out at the end of the film that she still lives with her uncle and that was the big um that was kind of i mean there's a there's a bigger twist at the end but i think that's a twist that that um gets overlooked because that that kind of hits you in the gut that she survived this horrific thing yet she goes she she gets to go home to another monster you know and I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. You and I had a small discussion on Facebook about this a little mm -hmm. bit earlier, and I did interpret the end differently. And there's no confirmation one way or the other. Right. It's just up to subjective personal viewing and, and how you receive the information. But um, somebody who is a long fan of genre movies, I feel like more times than not, it's a metaphor for a girl becoming a woman, or in this case, somebody that was broken, mm -hmm. being able to overcome um, those those past traumas. And I, I agree, it was shocking to see that she still lived with her uncle, mm -hmm. but I think that the look that she shared with the police officer and the way that it was reciprocated led me to believe that she was probably like, I'm not going home to him, you know? Right, yeah, okay, yeah, somebody um, on the same thread kind of got on to me about my, my opinion, and, um... <laughs> I read it. Um, Shout out to Aaron Dawson, I did see that, though. Yeah, and I liked the comment, and I responded, um, and, uh, no, I agree with them, and, and yes, um, I guess I wasn't clear, um, and I, yeah, the, the look she gives, I, I, I believe it's open-ended, because, yeah, yeah, um... Absolutely. It's ambiguous, and we don't know where she went to. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Ho hopefully, fingers crossed, um, we find we maybe will find out in another film, which we'll we'll get to to that in a, a minute. But um, I hope we don't see the end of her. I hope we see more of her story. Um, I agree. Uh, but yeah, yes, yeah, we we don't. I I hope that she came you know you know explain what was going on then maybe change her situation because she probably got some strength from um getting through this whole situation but um uh having worked uh sort of with um a uh i don't want to go into detail where i used to work but it was um with like a sort of child protective services or with legislation with like kind of child protective services and that that kind of thing i've heard you know stories kind of along these lines of um 
you know, kids that get put into foster care or, you know, guardians and, and the stuff that happens. So um, I also came from that perspective as well, that stuff sure. like that goes on. So um, I totally can see that. And I mean, the reality of the situation is much more bleak. A lot of times that girl would go back. Right. The household just because it's what they know and it's what they're what I mean, even that they think they deserve. But I do feel like uh, she got some sort of affirmation um, from Kevin in whatever kind of psychotic way that she was broken, but it could be a lot worse. You know, she wasn't completely fractured mentally to the point that she had disassociated. And uh, it's interesting, though, because it does. It, it's a heightened level of reality. And I was hoping maybe you'd talk to me a little bit about that because you had mentioned it earlier. It seems like... Um, the way that she was portrayed, um, the way that her experiences affected her as an adult, uh, you know, or as a teenager, I was kind of curious about the implications of what this movie says about uh, disassociative identity disorder and if that would be detrimental to to people that have actually experienced this. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um trying to think yeah um you know i was wondering if she was going to develop a personality um because we we get out or well there was two things i was wondering if she was going to develop a personality because as we got you know got through the film and her backstory and we see that she had um abuse and trauma in her life that um um that maybe she would um you know, become like Kevin, and then my other um, thought was that she would totally side with Kevin. Interesting. Um, Twist. Yeah, but we don't get any of that. Um, she she seems to, I think, still be somewhat grounded or take a different survivalist approach to it. Um, whereas, um, well, in the course of the film. You know, they say she she stays in detention a lot. Well, that's a survivalist thing because she she either stay at school where she's protected, or go home to her uncle. Um, I didn't even think about that. That's a very good point. And um, you know, so um, and now that you you've kind of made me rethink her the end of her storyline in this film um, with the, with the look she gives the police officer. Um, she she may that may kick in again and she may say well you know no my uncle's a horrible guy and you know i don't want to go home to him and that could change the situation but um, matter if he's going to rain down buckshot on his ass oh yeah that too um that too uh but you know and and not only um the stuff with her uncle but just the fact that she you know she seemed to love her father but i, I wonder if her experience like being in the woods and hunting and stuff at such a young age right didn't start that trauma um really good point and also you see that her father is just drinking morning noon and night not that there's anything wrong with that but right. it goes out of its way to show you that he is kind of an alcoholic and that yeah he's got this i don't know six-year-old girl maybe eight-year-old girl living essentially out in the woods with him right yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. It's interesting to to just kick around these these ideas. I mean, I, I guess that's the greatest part about films is that we all view them through our own personal life experience. We all view them through 
the lens of like your expectations, which both of us have brought out. It can be physiological. Like, did you eat lunch before you went? Are you tired? Are right. you irritated? And all of those things will affect your viewing experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, correct. Um, so anyway, yeah, and I don't know. Um, yeah, it just it brings up, you know, it's kind of curious what, what happened or what does she end up doing at the end of the of the film? Um, is she going to cover for Kevin or is she going to say no, you know? It sounded like she maybe didn't cover for him because, you know, there's a, um, because she's the only way that they would, the news media would be able to know his name or report about his personalities as if she talked to him. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how else they would know. That's a good point. And then also, I thought it was fascinating, um, kind of reading between the lines a little bit more, that the whole time they refer to that 24th personality as the beast. Mm-hmm. And then we do get a reveal uh, as Anya Taylor-Joy gets into some sort of cage, and we don't know exactly what it is. And then we realize they were underneath the zoo. Right. Higher time, and we get this images of the tigers at the end, and mm-hmm. it's like, idea of the beast and then translated to a you know figurative term and i just thought that that was an interesting way of you know representing the struggle that we had just seen right yeah Uh, (coughs) yeah i thought that was interesting because i kind of wondered the whole time you know where are they right and um you know where are they and what's his job and (laughs) right and maybe the zoo and is at the zoo yeah because um, I guess they let him live there because because when the psychiatrist went to his or yeah went to his house to visit him, you know, the, and then you see him leaving. He's going through a gate and it's just kind of um, in kind of an industrial looking section of town. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess they they say in the news report at the end that he his the twenty fourth personality was an amalgam of the animals at the zoo. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. I was so enamored by what was going on. I think I tuned that part out, but that's interesting. Um. So yeah, that's kind of interesting that he kind of um, you know, developed that personality. But but. I, and I wonder if we'll get more um, later, but it seems like the beast, I, I don't know how long it's been discussed um, among the different personalities and the psychiatrists, but this idea of the beast seems to have been something that had been brewing for a while because we see like a picture drawn and that they've all talked about it and that some of the personalities believed that there was this beast and so it's kind of I'm I kind of wondered how long that personality had been kind of um you know fermenting or waiting to be unleashed if it's something that was from his childhood or if it was something you know from when he started working at the zoo or something because it seemed like it'd been something that had been talked about but um, obviously, the the psych the psychologist didn't believe that that was a real personality. So, it was I, as if the horde was some sort of weird religious cult that existed yes. in itself, and they were the ones that believed in the beast and tried to share that ideology with the rest of the personalities. Right. Right. 
Um, so anyway, yeah, there was a lot of interesting stuff in it. So let's get to the ending. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, so the twist at the end, and you, you, you go through the whole movie. You did a review. You released a review this morning, um, or um, I saw it this morning, um, of the film on your YouTube channel. And, um, but the, the ending is the, the news report, um, of what happened and the, and it's in a diner and there's some, some, some young women at the, the bar at the diner and they say, oh, you know, the, the news media always gives people, you know, a funny name or a weird name. Like, um, they refer to Kevin as the horde and, you know, then they say, well, um, you know, they did that, you know, 10 years ago with, um, you know, that man in the wheelchair, what do they call him? And then Bruce Willis leans forward and says, Mr. Glass. And, um, bum, bum, bum. and, and what, what was really interesting is that, um, Bruce Willis gave probably his best bit of acting in years. Um, he yeah, said, Mr. He said, Mr. Glass and sighed or I think he sighs but he kind of rolls his eyes and kind of looks up like this is another thing for me to take care of or something you know so for those of you listening sorry for those of you listening that don't understand that reference there's a movie called Unbreakable it literally came back out in the year 2000 so many of you may have been too young to have seen it some of you guys like my age will definitely remember mm -hmm. it but this movie actually ends up being a sequel to Unbreakable, and I feel like what we saw was the origin story of another supervillain. Yes. Which, now thinking about it, um, it makes sense, and I'm cool with it, but initially seeing this movie and the, the themes and, you know, it being a horror film and stuff like that, um, when they did that, I was like, wow, I said, that's out of left field. That kind of changes things, but... You know, thinking about it, um, superheroes can fit in any kind of genre, um, and supervillains can fit in any kind of genre, and uh, you know, it was kind of um, it kind of felt that way. Now thinking about seeing Unbreakable, when it was kind of revealed that it was a superhero film after it, you know, the the whole film itself, um, Unbreakable, kind of had a different feel to it. And at the very end, you know, you get that that reveal so um we agree they did feel tonally so different didn't they yeah they did um but but unbreakable still had some kind of tension and just mysteriousness to it and then at the very end it's like oh this is a superhero movie i um, think it looks like uh time listed it as one of the top 10 superhero movies of all time and okay. i can see that because the formula is so dramatically different from what we see and expect from superhero films. Right. The pacing and the rhythm of it and the visual aesthetic and even the people they cast, this isn't conventional casting. These aren't the first people that are come to your mind when, when people talk about superheroes and right. supervillains. But I, I just I'm I'm a little I'm hope I'm hopefully skeptical. I do feel like it might be a clash of Tones, and would we like to see Anya Taylor-Joy team up with Bruce Willis's character? Do we want it to follow one and not the other? How do you feel about that? Um, I want to see both of them. Um, 
I want to see what he's been up to since Unbreakable. And with given the end of Split, you know, it looks like he, he has this world-weary look on his face. Like, oh, this is, maybe I need to take care of this. Because he um, definitely seems like the, from, it's been a while since I've seen Unbreakable, but he's kind of the reluctant hero. Uh-huh, um, but I do want to see her again. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure how they're going to work together. I think it's going to, I, I think they may be at odds. If they do put both of them in the film, I think they're going to be at odds uh, with each other initially. Um, just because, I mean, I think they, they probably have a lot of similarities. But at the same time, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, that's going to be interesting how that's going to work if they if they go that route. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I feel like they do almost need that dramatic tension between the two characters, at least for the first bit of the movie, like you said. Right. Now, I, I think that, um, I think that uh, it's going to be interesting, uh, James McAvoy's um, um, interaction with Bruce Willis. Um, because, you know, if one of these other personalities manages to break through, they can be an ally... But then, you know, the, the, you know, Patricia and what was Dennis and the Beast definitely are the kind of the dominant ones right now. So they can probably keep the other personalities at bay. But I can see McAvoy's character, you know, um, at times being an ally and then going right back into, you know, one of the more antagonistic personalities and then of course um you know the a fight between bruce willis and the beast will definitely be interesting that's a really good call i i totally agree with you about being an ally potentially and we saw a little bit of that in this film Mm -hmm. um in the you know in the climax when when he basically tells her how to kill him you know right so yeah i i think like like true to spider-man true to many superheroes when they get to that level of strength and abilities it's almost like they're invulnerable and like the green goblin would say in the original spider-man is like if you can't hurt them you've got to just hurt everyone he cares about basically so maybe um maybe the beast or uh mr glass maybe both of them will team up like alex luther and doomsday kind of situation i don't know but right. um well it feels like anya taylor joy could be that that character that he is protective of and trying to keep alive right um and i i think you know maybe mr glass will be out of prison by then when they do the next movie but i'm kind of envisioning him being a Hannibal Lecter type as far as Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. That's a really good call. That's very, very possible. I, I kind of can see, cause, because he, um, I mean, he almost had that role in Unbreakable to sort of, um, you know, he, he had all the information and advice and um, was eager to share. So, you know, I, I kind of see see it like that but i can see him doing that for bruce willis's character but i can also see james mcavoy's character going to visit him as well so, so what about this uh 
James McAvoy's Kevin gets put in the same prison where Mr. Glass is, and Mr. Glass starts indoctrinating him with this ideology, and so the Beast breaks both of them out of jail. Right. That could be something that worked. That right could... Right pay me up. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that you, you brought up some really good pitches, man. I, I would like to see a lot of that stuff in the sequel. Um, I just, I, I'm still very, uh, just confused about what direction they could take because the possibilities they really are endless and uh i mean i suppose one guess is as good as another and now that we kind of know this universe how did they pull another twist at the end of this next one that seems authentic because Shyamalan's never done a sequel before yeah yeah he he hasn't and um he hasn't so yeah it should be it's going to be interesting how they do it um because all his movies, I mean, he's known for his twist endings, and I mean, of course, th this film could have a twist ending as well, but, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting, um, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it, because I, I really enjoyed Unbreakable when it came out, because um, it was something different, and I wasn't, I was a superhero fan, a comic book fan, but I wasn't reading comics or collecting comics, when that came out but you know the theme you know they talk about comic books and mr glass has had has a um i guess he has a shop that sells comic book art and um and he talked about the different superhero and supervillain tropes and and then at the very end you said oh this is a superhero film um you know it was very interesting and kind of different at the time um so um i'm looking forward to revisiting those those characters and you know progressing the story I, I think it's um it's interesting and it's still kind of a grounded superhero film even though Kevin's abilities as the beast was a little over the top at the end but um, it is grounded and that's what makes me wonder like who's gonna beat up Bruce Willis's character I need to look up his name but uh it's David yeah yeah who's David Dunn yeah unbreakable considering the fact that he's completely unpenetrable he's like luke cage right right um uh yeah yeah he's he's yeah he's i mean he's unbreakable but the i think the beast could give him a run for his money i mean that's why i'm thinking that's gonna be an interesting fight mm -hmm. uh, he takes a shotgun blast point blank and it doesn't slow him down at all no and see uh, same with Bruce Willis. So, you know, um, and I don't know if Bruce Willis, um, I don't remember in Unbreakable, is he just invulnerable or does he have some sort of strength too? He has super strength as well. There's a time when he's lifting weights with like... That's right. Hands on the end of them. Right, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Um, he does actually have a family, so potentially they could be in the next film and somebody else that he has to protect. Mm -hmm. Who played his wife? Was it Robin Wright? Exactly who it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it, I need to watch that again. Um, and I, I was thinking about some of the stuff from Unbreakable. Um, Mr. Glass, you know, told him, oh, you know, there's two types of villains that, you know, the hero is, you know, strong like Superman, but his greatest villain is the intellectual, or I forget how he described them. And which is what um, uh, Mr. Glass was. Um, you can't match him with strength, but he can overpower him with wits and intellect. And he said the other type of villain is the soldier villain, 
who matches him strength for strength. Well, Ke- uh, Kevin is kind of both. The yeah, beast, the beast. I don't know if he's the intellectual superior, but you're definitely right about the the war, the soldier. Is that what you called him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's dude. Good call. I definitely. It's it, it's reverse engineering because I doubt that Shyamalan was thinking about this film when he said it, but it is very possible that he had a very early draft of this or even a concept well, where he wanted to go, and he's just held on to it until he was able to right film because. Uh, now that you say that, that's the perfect evolution of this story because it's 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 all right there already. Right. Well, the um, the beast is definitely the soldier villain, um, but Patricia and Dennis are, in a sense, kind of the intellectual villains. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so you know, um, and if. You know, in the going back to the film, if if Dennis couldn't impersonate who was it, Barry, and fool the psychologist, he kind of fooled the psychologist. Um, you know, he definitely could fool Bruce Willis. Right, right, um, and that was going to be my case for I was going to say, come on, he couldn't even fool that psychologist. But she's a psychologist; she studies people's right. brains for a living, so that's not exactly a fair comparison to make. Right. Um, on Wikipedia, and I had heard this, um, I think, like, the day or two after the movie came out, but um, on Wikipedia, Shyamalan uh, conceived the idea for Split years before actually he actually wrote the screenplay. He said, in this case, I had written the character a while ago, and I had written out a few scenes of it. So I even had dialogue written out, which is really unusual for me. It sat there for a long time. And I don't really have a clear reason why I didn't pull the trigger earlier, but I felt this felt like this, but this felt like the perfect time to do it with the type of movies I'm doing now and the type of tones I'm interested in, humor and suspense. Um, and then uh, let's see, going down, he, he made a comment that from previous film placing Unbreakable and Split in the same narrative universe, uh, Shalman had been. S- very secretive Willis's involvement in Split, removing the final scene from the film for test audiences. Um, he said he would like to make a movie that would combine Unbreakable and Split. I'm seeing there's something else that... Um, uh, oh, the character of Kevin had been in one of the early drafts of Unbreakable, but he had pulled the character out, stating there, was ba- there were balancing issue, uh, issue at the time. Yeah, I can see how it would have even added more weight to what Samuel L. Jackson said during the time of the film, right? Yeah. When he mentioned those two different characters. Right. I do think that's interesting that I was not I was not right. It doesn't sound like you reverse engineered this at all. I wonder, though, because I don't think Unbreakable did numbers at the box office. I, I can look real quick, but I think it was a very meager uh, profit, if, if much. And then um, Blitz seems to be rushing at the box yeah. office for the budget that it has. Right. So maybe it'll stoke people's interest in going back and revisiting or watching Unbreakable for the first yeah, time. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, also, it says that um, he'd been in an early draft. He pulled the character. Um, oh, just like with Split. Okay, he brought se- brought in some of the scenes he had written for Unbreakable around Kevin. I wonder what scenes those were, but... Um, yeah, I had read this. I mean, Wikipedia is not always to be trusted, but I um, 
I had read that in another article like um last week after I saw the movie that 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 Kevin was, you know, going to be in Unbreakable and it's kind of curious what role he would have played in that film. Um yeah. Like, where would they have stuck them? Would it have been a, a Spider-Man 3 situation with just too many villains and too much shit going on? Right. Or I wonder if he's somebody that, you know, Bruce Willis comes into contact with, maybe at his job. Um, I forget where Bruce Willis worked, but he, he, you know, Kevin may have been an employee, and at the very end, you get the, you know, you get the reveal that Kevin has multiple personalities or something. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. That would that would definitely work out. So you know, I don't, I don't know, um, I don't know. But yeah, that's um, that's interesting. Um, what did you think about Unbreakable when it first came out? Uh, honestly, as a kid, I was underwhelmed. Uh, I, I say I was a kid. I was about eighteen years old. Okay, um, yeah, I think I think we're close. I think we're close to the same age. I was in high school. Um, I was either a junior or a senior when it came out. To be honest, I had kind of bad taste in movies for a while. I wasn't. I was more interested in the entertainment value of them, as far as did they have monsters or robots or computer graphics. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't any of those things. And as a kid, I thought it was kind of boring. Um, it wasn't mm -hmm. until I went back and revisited at a, at about probably twenty three to twenty five that I started seeing what made this movie so genius. And then again, once the boom of the comic book film started really saturating the market it, it even made me have a deeper reverence for this film because of how unconventional it is it doesn't take the route that other superhero movies take and i just think that it is it's an interesting take on it so i've grown to like it um which is not unusual actually the village was another movie that the first time i watched it i was extremely disappointed but then going back and seeing it again i already I'd already dealt with the, the things that I perceived as shortcomings. I thought I was going to watch a monster movie, right? Oh, yeah. Something totally different. But after I understood what it was, and then I went back and revisited it, I was able to move past that thing and try to look at it and accept it on its own terms. So even Shyamalan's a director that I think sometimes his films grow on you, you know? 2001, A Space Odyssey. As a kid, I didn't get that shit. And right. then going back and in it later on it's it's a great film um yeah i i haven't seen i still haven't seen 2001 but um no judgment here i, I guess i need to fix it i need to i need to i need to fix that um but yeah unbreakable i really enjoyed just because it it dealt so much with comics you know something that i had not been following and i just liked that they did that and that was early i mean that was pre superhero movies uh, or the boom um I mean, we had blade and i think we had the first x-men but there wasn't i mean spider-man hadn't come out yet um or any of that other stuff so it was early um very early uh in the whole superhero craze well um, in a little bit of perspective i think marvel studios started putting out movies in 2008 and mm -hmm. now they're on like number 16 or 17 or something like that yes train just keeps on rolling yep um yep and i i'm i'm wondering with this unbreakable um the i think he's i think it's announced that his next movie is going to be another unbreakable but um i wonder if we're going to get more um more superheroes and villains within that universe or if they're going to keep it fairly contained 
ideally they won't branch out yet. Ideally, they won't take the DC route and try to throw everybody in the kitchen sink in at one time, and we can just see a movie with these three dynamic or even potentially four dynamic leads with Samuel L. Jackson, Bruce Willis, James McAvoy, and Anya Taylor-Joy. Right. There's plenty of characters there. There's plenty of intellectual meat to on, and there's so many things you could do with just that. Right, right. Um, Yeah, and I hope that's what they do. I mean, I don't want to, you know... I don't know if I want them to go into, you know, people flying around in bright costumes and stuff like that. You know, I think that's what makes this um, this particular universe uh, unique and uh, engaging. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what they uh, they do. What is your um, what is your favorite um, M Night film? Oh, it's easy. It's got to be the sixth sense okay Um, i think that was such a great uh debut film it was a great calling card it let everybody know who this guy was and it kind of set the template for everything that came afterwards um the twist ending is great but i think the relationship between the two leads is also like pretty endearing Mm -hmm. you know and it again it changes your viewing experience after you go back and watch it a second time and see how all of those puzzle pieces were lining up for you throughout the film, but they were just so subtle you didn't notice it until after the movie's over, you know? Right. Yes, I I remember, you know, a lot of his movies I've only seen maybe one or two times because the the ending, and it's not that I don't like um, some of his films, it's that his his endings are such a shock or twist, and that while they make, they make sense within the context of his films, there's such a twist that you know what's going to happen, and like I just you know I haven't gone back and rewatched The Sixth Sense. I mean, I may I, I I may have only seen that movie one time. But they rely too heavily on that gimmick of of pulling the rug out from under you on the at the end. A little bit, and um, with The Sixth Sense, I had read. Did Did you ever read the Goosebump books um, as a kid by R. L. Stein? I'm familiar. My younger brother did for sure. Okay, so the the first one I ever read was called The Ghost Next Door. Uh-huh. And in it it's from the focal point of a girl who gets chased by a shadow figure and there's some new neighbors and it's kind of an awkward kid moves next door and she thinks they're ghosts. Well, at the end of the book it turns out that she's the ghost. Bom, bom, bom. It's like the others too. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I kind of was wondering because um, through the whole movie, but it was still a surprise. But no, I, I I agree. I think Sixth Sense, you know, is probably one of his strongest ones. Um, I really liked Unbreakable, and I liked um, I liked Signs because it it. Um, I mean, I think some people don't like that one as much, but that one. Um, I kind of enjoyed it was a different take on the alien invasion stuff that shot from the birthday party in brazil where the alien just like walks across on the home video oh yeah brilliant little shot uh i i mean i about came out of my seat when that happened yeah well i yeah i wasn't a big fan of signs i thought the religious allegories and the swing away thing were a little bit ham-fisted and then my least favorite part is how stupid those fucking aliens are Oh yeah, ship on a planet that's seventy five percent water. Right, but that's a little nitpick. 
Yeah, um, I, I think I just like the tone of the movie and kind of the suspense. Like, when, when that hand comes out from under the pantry door, I jumped out, you know, that, you know. Um, and then The Village, um, I, I might have to watch that again. I, I, that movie was, um, I didn't really find it. I, I was kind of wondering what, you know, as far as the time period and kind of this monster and all this stuff. But the 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 movie itself was sort of um, I don't know it didn't kept, didn't really keep me that engaged I don't know um, yeah it's definitely not a home run but uh, it's a he tried to do something different with it I think it just maybe I can see why it wouldn't succeed all that much for some people right and it may have been yeah and you had talked about um, earlier about going into certain films with the mindset and that my mindset might not have been right for that one or something you know I don't know. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I agree with you on that. And I did say Sixth Sense was my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. It was instinctive because it always has been. Mm-hmm. But Split has got to be a very, very close second. Um, I put it way up there on the top of his filmography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I, I think Split's high up there. I mean, initially I gave it a solid B um, um, because... You know, just thinking about like, oh, making it, you know, part of the Unbreakable universe, it it seemed like a stretch. But now you and I talking about it and kind of reading up on it, it start it it, it makes sense. Um, and damn good score too. Every movie can't be The Godfather, you know. Right, right. And um, uh. So anyway, um, yeah, no, I I think the more I think about the movie and read up on it, um, it's one that I definitely would definitely want to watch uh, multiple times and try to pick up on different stuff with it um yeah i think that one's kind of i think split's kind of high up there for me as far as his his catalog goes um so um real quick um since we're talking about m night uh Shalaman, his style what do you think about twist endings in general I am a huge fan of the Twilight Zone. <clears throat> okay. It's something that, and not the Forrest Whitaker one. I'm talking about the Rod Serling one, the original Twilight right. Zone. Right. I watch episodes of it to this day. Um, there are other really good examples of films with twist endings. Uh, actually, 2001 has a pretty nice reveal at the end of it, but <clears throat> um, it's something that I've always liked. I can see where, where if the whole movie is just in service of that last twist ending and it feels like they had a really good idea for an ending and then they built the rest of the story around that Mm -hmm. i don't like that so much but when it changes your viewing experience when you get when you have the rug pulled out from under you and it's in a fulfilling way it always uh it's a gratifying experience because Back to the trailers thing, films are very predictable because right. they're formulaic, because the formula works. It's been proven to work, and every studio just wants to make a lot of money, so they don't take a lot of risks. Mm-hmm. But if a filmmaker can throw that little stinger at the very end of the film, it doesn't change necessarily the structure of the movies. It doesn't reinvent the wheel. It just has to have that one strong thing at the end that makes you say wow, I wasn't expecting that, and I think that's great. It's hard to pull off, though. You know, like you had mentioned that you kind of saw the the Sixth Sense uh, twist ending coming from pretty early on. 
I felt the same way about uh, the village. It was like at a certain point, I was like, this isn't the past at all. These people are like modern people living out in the wilderness. Right. And it, it also, even that doesn't detract from my experience because then I'm like, oh, I'm so fucking smart. Give myself a cookie and I pat myself on the back. <laughs> Do you think um, that with tw- twist endings, that they sometimes I, I don't know I don't know you your movie habits but do you tend to have movies you rewatch um you know you know multiple times um or do you just watch a movie once and then move on um does a twist ending if you're one that watches multiple you know at multiple times does a twist ending if it depending on how shocking or out of the blue it is does that keep you from watching the movie a second time now that you bring that up, my uh, not a lot of people ask about viewing habits, and a lot of people will watch Star Wars 30 times in one year, you know, just put it in over right. and over again, but I'm not really that guy. Um, there are certain movies that have a very high rewatchability factor for me, mm-hmm. um, mostly popcorn movies, like right. I, I love Jurassic Park, I right. love Civil War, you know, there's certain movies that right. stick in my head that are just fun to watch. You can turn your brain off during Guardians of the Galaxy yes. and just enjoy it. But, um, for example, The Hateful Eight, Uh uh, it's kind of a murder mystery, and then it devolves into kind of just a blood-spattery gorgeous. But for the beginning of it, um, Samuel L. Jackson is kind of deducing who the suspects are, and he's kind of taking note of things that's going on around him. Right. Upon second watch... You can see all of that stuff playing out. You can see him reacting to it without dialogue, you know? Mm-hmm. You see him make a glance in a certain direction that all of a sudden has meaning. He sees the jelly beans on the floor and realizes there's something up with Minnie's uh, haberdashery before any before he says a word. Right. So sometimes it ex- enhances the experience just because you can see the craftsmanship and, like, this wasn't just some tacked-on thing. The, the filmmaker intended this from the beginning, so he peppered in mm-hmm. it throughout the film, you know? Right. Okay. Yeah, I agree that, um, you know, I've only seen Hateful Eight once, um, and that movie was interesting because it was basically like a stage play. Um, and uh, I, I need... I think I've got it. I need to watch it again. But, yeah... Um, I agree with you that some sometimes, um, depending on the ending or how the twist is, you go back and watch it to see if you can pick up clues. Um, um, I'm that way with one. I don't know if you've ever seen The Usual Suspects. Absolutely. That's a great example. Okay, that's one of my favorite movies. Um, but the thing about that movie is it's got a, a surprise ending, and I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it yet. Um, it's over 20 years old. But, um, you with the people. Uh, yeah, it put, I mean, it's the movie that I think pretty much put Kevin Spacey on the map. Absolutely. Um, and so anyway, um, yeah, there's a, a big twist with that, but that movie is so good that, I, I mean, I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but it's one of my favorite movies. But it's one, even though you know what's going to happen, you still, I mean, it's a solid crime drama, so, or mystery, or whatever genre it falls into, um. But yeah, that's one that I, I like to watch. And you try to pick up sort of um, clues to see if you can kind of see it coming. But um, 
anyway, I won't go into that movie, but after uh, after seeing it a few times, you kind of realize that um, you kind of just it. There's a lot more to enjoy about it than trying to figure out the mystery because um, anyway, I don't want to I don't want to give away um, my theory on that movie because this this isn't a podcast about the usual suspects, but <laughs> that is a good one though. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. I I, um, I enjoy that movie a lot. Um, so anyway, um, you got anything else on Split? No, I think I got a Split here momentarily, but it's been fantastic. Okay. Um, and we dug deep into that, and actually you uh, you touched on some things that I didn't even think about, man. So it's always cool to be able to uh, to chat. Yeah, you, uh, you brought up some stuff I hadn't thought about either with the film. Um, real quick... Um, I'm guessing um, I didn't. I haven't talked about beer, and this is a beer and comics podcast, and everything in between. Were you drinking a beer or anything while we were talking? Absolutely, drinking a Coors Light. Okay. The basic of beers. I've got some more fancy stuff in the refrigerator, but it's not as easy drinking. I like this watery American beer from time to time. Yeah. Well, I um, actually was drinking um, Rolling Rock. Oh great! Yeah, I like Rolling Rock. Yeah, I I do too. Um, I I enjoy it. Um, you know, I've got fancy stuff in my fridge too, but I've been organizing my collection and uh, comic collection and stuff, and this is a good one. But I I looked up real quick, looked up Rolling Rock. Um, and it's by the Latrobe um, Brewing Company, but um, it's been owned by Anheuser Busch since two thousand six. Um, because they own everything. Uh, that's that's but that's Budweiser, um, and actually, it's in I guess InBev owns Anheuser Busch, which is a European company. But anyway, um, originally Latrobe was uh, or Rolling Rock for since 1939 was brewed in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. So it turns out this beer was the appropriate choice. Um, for this discussion because uh, um well yeah now it's closer to pittsburgh it's not it's not um it's a pretty good ways away from philadelphia where split takes place but it's in the same state so yeah. you know and i have a feeling that this rolling rock is probably what bruce willis's character would drink i i can't i can't agree more man and uh we need to get up and do some beer tasting, or next time we, we do a podcast together, we're going to coordinate. I like the idea that you went with a theme, man. That's fantastic. Yeah, I tried to, and I um I didn't feel like breaking out my fancy stuff. Um, It's, it's relatively early, and I'm going out later, so... Exactly um, right. That's what I was thinking. And that, that stuff's high. Uh, some That stuff can be high in alcohol, so I, I, I you know... um. It's kind of a reach with the Rolling Rock trying to make a theme to it, but I also want my my you know three listeners to know I'm not a total beer snob. I do, you know, um, you know like other other types of beer as well, and it's okay to drink Rolling Rock or Coors Light or you know whatever you know. So there are certain uh, same with movies and anything else. There's certain times where certain things suit your mood or suit your circumstance like you said you don't want to drink like a really heavy beer if you're going to go out and try to have dinner after a little bit right or, i mean there's so many and that's why i grabbed the watery beer it's like uh i want to drink beer for the podcast but i don't want to get drunk at three o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> right right yeah um 
So anyway, yeah, we'll have to get up again. I am, um, I don't know if I'm going to do it all three days, but I am planning to go to Pensacon in February. And I know, oh. you, I know you will be there. I'm going to be hosting the film festivals this year, both the uh, short film festival by the, uh, the United States short films and then also the International Film Festival. And uh, you guys just check my social media to get the actual details. The specific schedule hasn't been released yet, but as soon as it is, I'm going to be updating it on my uh, Facebook page. Okay. Yeah, I, I went to Pensacon last year and uh, enjoyed it. Um, it's in Pensacola, Florida, um, and uh, it's um, it was a fun fe- it was a fun convention. Um, I enjoyed it, and um, I know you've been involved for a couple of years with it, right? That's correct. Yeah, I, uh, I actually just went as a journalist the first year, but for the past few years, I've been on as a moderator and things like that. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm, I'll I'll definitely look out for you when I'm there. I may just go Saturday, but I'll probably stay over. A couple nights because I'm that's where I'm originally from and um, the 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 good thing about that convention um, is that the town uh, uh, or the city is 100% behind that convention so and they go all out um, as far as restaurants having events or specials and um, you know the airport changing its name um, for the weekend um there it's a it's a fun experience so anyway well uh i'll let you go where where can the the people find you again floridaman.com okay yeah (laughs) out on facebook at be terrible productions that's the fan page also my name is jeremy g branch so you can hit me up there jeremy g branch on twitter and be terrible movies on youtube Jason, again, it's been a pleasure, man. Yeah, and uh, you're going to a convention this weekend, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I'm going to um, the Florida, uh, the Orlando Comic and Toy Show um, in Orlando. It's a one-day con. Um, I went last year. I don't remember. They had some good comic artists last year, and they got some. They have some good ones this year. I'm hoping um, that there's some good vendors so I can do a little bit of uh, shopping for my. Uh, my collection but it's a one day show at a like a holiday inn i think in orlando um but um if you're into comics one day shows um are good because sometimes they get a lot of um, vendors and you can find stuff that you don't normally find at your you know regular comic book shop um so and um anyway so let me know how it goes when you get back in town, and we'll we'll set something up again. Yeah, definitely. I'll I'll definitely be on the lookout for you at um at Pensacon, and it's in less than a month. So February seventeenth through the nineteenth, guys. If you hadn't got your tickets, you're gonna want to do that. Yeah, I need to do that. So anyway, all right, Jeremy, I appreciate it, and we'll, we'll uh, talk to you later. Been a pleasure. Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. So um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jeremy. He knows a lot about film, and uh, he's into genre stuff. And um, so anyway, I had a lot of fun talking to him. So uh, check out his um, his pages, uh, his YouTube channel. He's always posting stuff constantly. So check him out. And um, anyway, if you haven't seen Split, I uh, hope we didn't spoil it too much for you. But go uh, check that film out. Um, I enjoyed it. It was very entertaining, and I give it 
four hops, I give the Rolling Rock uh, two and a half hops. Uh, it serves its purpose. And uh, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Uh, on Facebook as Heroes and Hops. Uh, Instagram, Heroes in Hops. Twitter, uh, Heroes Hops. And uh, you can email the show. Uh, Heroes and Hops at gmail.com and the blog is hero uh heroes and hops dot So with that, uh drink responsibly and go buy a comic book.